new series today called uh, The Power of Words. Here's what I think. Whoever coined the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, should be hunted down and beaten with sticks and stones. Because the fact is that everybody in this room right now, every one of us, has been deeply, sometimes permanently, affected by words. And we're going to take a look today about something that pretty much everybody in the room carried in with you, a capacity, a tool, a weapon that everybody here has, and you've had since the earliest days of your life. I heard a comedian say once, the trauma of being born was so great that I forgot how to talk for a year and a half. But once you learned... You've carried that with you ever since. And it, it is arguably the most significant alterer of your life that you carry. We're going to look and say, okay, why were we given it and what's it for and what are we supposed to do with it? So we have a whole spectrum of people in the room today about where you are in your journey with God. Some of you don't, may not even believe in God. You came because you're curious. Maybe something's going on in your life that drew you here. Some of you have been in church but got wounded in churches and are, don't know what you got at arm's length about what's going on. That's fine. We are glad you're here. Take your time. Some of you are new in a faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you have been walking with him for years. Some of you have kind of drifted and you're trying to figure out where things are wherever you are in the spectrum please understand this we're going to talk about this from this perspective that this is going to resonate most with those who have settled the issue about who is in charge of their life because once you decide who is in charge of your life you pay attention to what his directions are for your life so what we're going to see from what god has to say is based on the assumption that you at least have an interest in saying you made me god you designed this thing, okay, tell me, show me what to do with it. That's going to be my, my assumption, regardless where you are in the spectrum. So if you have a Bible or access to one, would you take a look at James chapter 3 with me today? I'm going to show you a whole bunch of other scripture. We're going to fly through a bunch of stuff, but we're going to land in James and use that kind of as an anchor point. And as we get there, here's something we need to understand about the nature of language. Your ability to communicate in language, your use of word, is absolutely unique to Homo sapiens. We can train a horse to stomp out when we say 13. And we can train an ape to sign when they're hungry. But the ability to put creative, original formation of concepts and transfer them into verbal form is absolutely unique to human beings on the face of the planet. So much so that it is the bugaboo for atheistic evolutionists who feel like they can explain a whole lot of stuff. But Dr. Noam Chomsky, who's at MIT, is their professor of linguistics. He's an absolute um, evolutionist. But he says, human language appears to be a unique phenomenon without significant analog in the animal world. And there's no reason to suppose that the gaps, he's talking about the gaps between animals And humans is bridgeable. There's no more of a basis for assuming an evolutionary development from higher to lower stages in this case than there is in assuming evolutionary development from breathing to walking. There is no animal that is capable of achieving anything like human speech, 
But at the other end of the spectrum, there's no human tribe that has ever not had a language. Even Richard Dawkins, our, our friend and now uh, ceased atheist in um, England's most influential evolutionary biologist, said the biggest problem he's got in his concepts it has to do with words and language. He said, my clearest example of it, the disconnect is language. Nobody knows how it began. Equally obscure is the origin of semantics, of words and their meanings. You have, you have a capacity today that you, don't, you, take seri- you, don't even take, you take for granted, don't you? That is absolutely unique. And it is one of the key indicators that you were made in the image of God. God created mankind, and the first thing he does is communicates with them. He doesn't communicate with the rest of nature because he can. He gave us that instrument. You possess it. And some people were given the instrument of words at about two years old and have never stopped using them since. But there's something very distinct about this because it transcends your use of words, transcends all the spectrum of realms in which you function. Uh, Speaking is a physical realm thing. There's auditory signals that come in your brain and how that works. But it also exists in the intellectual realm. Words have the ability to penetrate into our intellect and help form concepts about how we think. But it goes beyond that. It goes to your emotional realm. You can hear words and they can affect your emotions. But it even goes beyond that and it touches and embeds itself in the spiritual realm. Words have the capacity to take you from the physical into the spiritual. They can affect it. It is a spiritually imbued instrument. The Bible says that God's word, when God speaks, it has the capacity to go in and cut somebody and divide between the soul and the spirit. We don't even know what quite that means, but we know it's talking about something internal to your soul, something that's true about your inmost part of your true identity. And God's words have that ability. It's not just when God says it, though. Proverbs puts it this way. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are honeycomb. Here's what they can do. They're sweet to the soul. They can be healing to the bones. Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that brings healing. It's like a tree of life. Deceitful tongue crushes. Look what it does. It can crush your spirit. It goes far beyond sticks and stones. And therefore... Our words carry an incredible potency with them. Okay, you're in James chapter 3. If you've been around church most of your life, you probably have seen this passage. It gets used a lot when people talk about the tongue and the use of the tongue. But look at all the analogies that get used. It's almost like he stacks them on top of each other to say, please understand this. Please see how important this is. See the potency of what that instrument in your mouth can do. In verse 1 of James 3, A lot of people, be careful being a teacher as somebody who communicates because they're judged with stricter judgment by God. And then he says in verse 2, and we all stumble in many ways. But here's the one that is an indicator. We'll come back to this later. If you don't stumble in what you say, that's that's a mature man. That's how you can gauge when somebody has maturity. They got a control on that part of their lives. He's able to keep his whole body in check. Now, then all the analogies start. Verse three. So 
When we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, as an example. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Here's the third analogy. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It's, I mean, you, now listen to how extreme he's going to get with this. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. You keep reading, he's going to talk about animals and how they can be controlled. But the tongue, man, that's a different critter. And so our words carry an incredible amount of potency. Rudyard Kipling, the, the, the author, who prolific author, but he wrote the, the Jungle Book, among other things. He said, words are, of course, the most powerful drug used by mankind. And so we give our children this explosive device, and by age four, they're capable of setting it off. And I've seen dozens of examples, and you can tell them about things the kids say. But just recently, I was in a crowded place, and a boy about four years old turns and points to a man from his mother and goes, Mommy, that man's going to have a baby. (laughs) There is a a potency that comes with it. It extends beyond just hurting somebody's feelings. Look, this is what Proverbs 18.21 says. The tongue has this potency. It has the power of life and death. Is that an overstatement? And those who love it will eat its fruit. God says, what you carried around, you just walked in with it. You've been wielding it all day today. That thing has incredible potential. It can do such good. It can actually breathe life into another being. It can, it can enhance the life, the, the spiritual essence of somebody. And it can also absolutely drive a dagger within that soul. And so with that incredible potency comes an immense responsibility. Jesus said it this way. I tell you, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for, get this, this is kind of frightening, every careless word they have spoken. Yikes. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. It's why I need somebody to save me. I need somebody to take the punishment that's already been done, the damage that's been done. So we, you, you carry that thing around. It's got this amazing potential. It's got this huge responsibility. And, but some of us, can I say a lot of us, we, we seldom, if ever, just stop to evaluate it to guide it, to think about how we can control it or apply any kind of direction, to put the bit in the mouth of the animal. In what, what, how many of us ever stopped to think that we could do that? And the result of that is that words come out that are just, that inflict deep, deep damage. Now look back at James chapter 3. You saw that passage that said that the tongue is like a fire, a world of evil, verse 6. 
Verse 7 says that all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. I mean, you you know, James can't really use much more vivid language, can he? It is a restless evil. It's an evil that just is, you can't, you, you can't stop it. It's, it's like, it, it's charging. It's, it's, you can't wait to do more damage. It's a restless evil. And it is full of deadly poison. One misplaced word, one misspoken concept, one misunderstood word can instantly and radically and permanently affect a life. There are websites now more than one where that, that record uh, people who make mistakes when they're sending texts and autocorrect makes a mistake. Autocorrect takes their word and changes it. And I wish I could. No, I, no, I don't. Most of the most of what you see that make me laugh in spite of myself are not safe for work. But you do see some that say things like this. It looks like the government is back up and ruining Or a conversation like this one. Where's Granny? I thought she was going to be here for Thanksgiving. Grandma is in the grave. What What? what grave? What are you saying? Uh, sorry, garage. Garage. Have a great day today. I want to t- This is a, a mother to her teenage daughter. I want to teach you to drink this weekend. Trust me. I think it'll be, you'll be great at it. Drive, drive. I want to teach you to drive this weekend. And the, and the teacher said, oh, I was so excited for a moment. <laughs> Another mother to a child. It's coming down hard out there, sweetheart. Be careful, sweetheart. Yeah, it's crazy loud in here with the ram, with the metal hooves. I don't even want to ask where you are. No, no, no. No, not the red. The rain. With the metal roof, right, right. Uh, Guy who's probably been on a date. My hand smells like you. Wait, that sounds weird. It smells like your colon. Uh, No, 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 your cologne. Your, Your cologne, your cologne. I assure you that nothing on me smells like your colon. I have a friend who's a youth pastor who's, who got all upset and the family made an made a appointment to talk with him and they were very upset because of something they said to their daughter. And they said, why are you telling our daughter that, you, that, that makes you sick? Being around my da- our daughter makes you sick. She said that you said, I can't be around you, you make me sick. He said, what? I don't remember saying that. He said, no, our daughter said, and he, they gave the time, the place, and all of a sudden hit the guy. He said, no, what happened was I was alone, and I kind of have a policy in about not being alone with females, and she needed to talk. And I said, you know what? I can't talk with you right now. And she said, why not? And I said, well, because I just don't think it's healthy for, for people to talk together like this. One understood, misunderstood word, one phrase can turn an entire perspective and it can inflict incredible amounts of damage you know this you don't need me to say it, but I'll, I'll just put it this way that more damage has been done and more relationships have been destroyed 
because of words that God exchanged than any kind of misdeed or action. There's a bunch of forms that this takes. The Bible talks about them. I'm just going to summarize them for you. There are harsh words that get used. Words of accusation and condemnation, abusive, shaming words, mocking words. Words that are said with a certain tone that is harsh. I'm going to step out for a minute and say a couple times through this, can I tell you that that when we talk about the use of words, I do not stand in front of you as somebody who's got doing very well with this. I've been told I do not have an inside voice. I also can tell you without hesitation that I have damaged my wife Sometimes with intent, sometimes without. More than I've damaged any other person in my world with my words. I'm a verbal person. And being a verbal person gets me in deep trouble. I need to pay attention to what God has to say. I will tell you that I'm gonna str- I struggle with this. I want to get better at it. And I've, I asked people to help me get better at it. The harsh words are the ones I've been told. You said something that you think sounded like you were just conversing, but you had a tone to it. There was an anger to it. There was a judgment. In, to it. I said, I don't even know that it's happening. There are words that are harsh, but there are also words that are just to some level that they are untrue. There's slanderous words. There's lying and deceit, but there's also manipulation. There's judging somebody's motive when you don't know that what it really is. Assessing truth to something that you don't know is true. There are destructive words. Words that are critical. Sarcasm. Another one that I don't want to talk about right now. Careless words. Demeaning words. And then there's insensitive words. Without, words that are given without tact. When people say, they don't, I don't have a filter. That person doesn't have a filter. Yeah, you know what? That's, I'm sorry. That you... You can't wave that flag and say, so I'm okay, I'm safe, I, just deal with me because that's just me being me. Well, remember what we said? This is the people who say, you know what, I want somebody else to be in charge of my life. There's a better way to live and I'm going to ask God to introduce. And he's going to say, yeah, you know what, that's not you. That's what you do. It's what you choose. Let's talk about it. Boastful words are insensitive. Self-serving words. Excessive words. Ecclesiastes just puts the love how this says, the more the words, the less the meaning. Right? And how does that profit anyone? The Bible has a word for, for describing that, that kind, and it calls it reckless words. And it says, our reckless words are not casual. They don't just come and go. Reckless words, it says in Proverbs 12, 18, they pierce like a sword. It's the tongue of the wise that brings healing. And so the, whatever form it takes, our words have an effect. And that effect is, is talked about, in, again, in James. Verses 5 and 6 talk about this forest fire that gets set. Once it's lit, and you've seen, it's been in the news, the whole drought in California has just reminded us they had zero f- fires in January of 2013. They've had over 400 of them in January of 2014. And Every one of those fires that, ha- that they have researched so far has been set because of a careless act of a human being. 
Somebody throws a cigarette butt. Somebody starts a campfire in a place where they shouldn't. Somebody doesn't put something out entirely. And the Bible, James uses that analogy. He says, look at how, what happens with one spark, how it just roaring destruction. When we lived out in California, we would drive through these sections that had f- these fires years and years before and nothing is growing and it's black and dark. Irreversible damage and deep scars. Some of you, can I say, I, I bet most of you, most of us in the room, you remember exact phrases that got said to you that hurt you. You remember where you were, when it happened. You remember the words and the phrases that got used. Somebody, you, the person who said them to you may or may not even remember they did, but you carry that around and you have been. Some of us for years. Some entire relationships have, have turned and changed or been totally destroyed because of what you remember that was said. That's the effect that, that it has. Maya Angelou, the, the author, said, I've learned that people may forget exactly what you said, but they will never forget how it made them feel. Colin mentioned um, Richard Sherman, who was defensive back for the Seahawks after, right after the champ, NFC Championship game a couple weeks ago. He's going to the Super Bowl, and they stick a microphone in front of him, and, they ask, and he makes some statements. And his statements are just—they're about him. They're disparaging about the receiver, and he, and instantly in that time, I don't care who you're rooting for today. In that moment, a whole bunch of people decided to root for the Broncos in the Super Bowl. They just did. Two days later, Richard Sherman comes back out. He's talked with his coach and some others, and he comes back and says, "I, I want you to know it was the heat of the moment. It wasn't me. I'm not that kind of person." And it's about, and I shortchanged my team. I made it about myself instead of the team. He said those kinds of things. But here's the thing. You can't unring that bell. Those words are still going to be in the minds of fans and Peyton Manning and a whole bunch of other people because they were said. The whole phenomenon has happened with Facebook, of Facebook bullying suicides has become epidemic in some are calling it. That words that get stated there, sometimes anonymously by somebody, so affect somebody that they will, a lot of young people, they will take their own life rather than feel the pain that they've been exposed to because of something that has been said about them. Did you remember the passage from earlier? It says it crushes the spirit. This is not a minor injury. The Bible talks a lot about gossip as an example of that. Listen to the phrases it uses about when people speak about somebody else in a way that that, that does not reflect well on them. It says the words of a gossip, this is uh, Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a gossip, they're like choice morsels. Now, you could even stop in a moment and say, ooh, that, that feels good going down when it gets processed. And it says they go down to a man's deepest parts. Proverbs 16 says, a perverse man will stir up dissension. And a gossip, here's what happens. A gossip separates close friends. Some of you have had that happen. How have, how have you been wounded? When we're in our groups this week, I encourage you to come to group. One of the questions we can ask, what wounds do you carry that were inflicted 
by nothing other than words. Can I ask you this other question? What wounds have you inflicted? Do me a favor. Don't sit there and say, oh, I don't think I do that. Oh, I've never done that. We, we call bull, at, bull S on that, right? We, we say, sorry. Around here, uh-uh. we know you have. You may not even fully recognize it, but we know you have, and I know I have. I'm standing in front of you right now, and I can look and see people who I've wounded with my words. I know it. What are we supposed to do about that? How do you reset the way we handle this instrument? If you Look at James chapter 1, verse 26. Before he even gets to chapter 3 where he goes more in detail, he makes this just incredible blanket statement. If anyone considers himself religious. Now that doesn't mean, oh, you know, you're a choir boy. It doesn't mean, it just means you consider yourself somebody who's got a relationship with God. Anybody who says that that is true, they got a thriving relationship with God. They, they're trying to follow him. And, he, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself. His religion is worthless. Wow. If you look at, at, at chapter 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone is never at fault in what he says, if we can get this area channeled, well, he's a, he's a perfect man, says my translation. He's a mature man, fully developed man, able to keep his whole body in check. So how do we do that? There's just some principles. We're going to unpack some of this more next week and the week after. But you know where it starts? Let's borrow from the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. Doctors sign something that says, I will do no harm to my patients. First, do not harm. Put the tool down until you understand fully what it does and the effect it can have. Psalm 39 puts it this way, Psalm 39.1. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. Step away from the instrument before you know what you're doing with it. We train people with deadly weapons. We require by law that people have to go through processes to own a gun or to shoot a gun. We have have tools for understanding, boy, you've got to be careful with that. You don't just go, not if you're smart, you don't just go and start working with the electric in your house. That's just not a smart thing to do. Although some of you have done that. You've got to understand what you're dealing with here. I tried to change the um, garage door opener in our, in our first home. And, and I know, see, some of you guys, if you know me, you go, really? You didn't? The Bernard Hooker showed up in full force that day. And I can tell you a longer, much longer story about it. But I will tell you this, that as I was trying to rewire it, I did something that the electric company told me later. They've never seen anybody do this. They still don't know how it happened. And I, from my little switch in my garage door opener trying to turn on, I blew a transformer down the street and it knocked out a city block of electric. <laughs> I am not making this up. I have a, my next door neighbor is a good friend of mine now. And he, he knows me. He's, we've lived each, by each other for a long time. If he sees me in the backyard and, I, and he sees me holding a tool, he will run out. He's done this. He will run out of his house and say, what are you doing? What are you holding a tool for? Put the tool down. I'll come over. What do you need done? <laughs> Learn what the instrument does. First, do no harm. And then recognize its intended purpose. 
Just because you own one doesn't mean it has to always be on. There's a purpose behind the possession that you have, that you brought in with you. I'm going to just summarize it this way. There are three basic purposes for that you... Why were you even given the ability to communicate? Why? Why couldn't you just be like my dog who just looks at me? He's, she's sure cute. She can let me know when she wants to go out. But I, and I, want, I, I, just want, I just would love for you to tell me your story. I just want to talk, but she can't do it. Why am I not like that? What was the purpose that a creator said, no, you've got a different capacity. You can do it. Here's three phrases. Relationship enhancement, danger impediment, and cause advancement. The use of my tongue, if I look at all, the whole of Scripture and say, what, what does God say it's there for? It falls, most things fall in one of those three categories. I will, it's, either, it's there to enhance a relationship, a means by which my heart and another heart can know each other, draw closer, whether it's with God or with you or, or a group of people. Relationship enhancement. It's danger impediment. It's to warn some things in ways that are effective to say, don't go there, that's painful, don't, we're going to stop that, let's get each other's attention. Or the third one is cause advancement. The best causes to, to try to rally people to go where God wants them to go. Most any other use of that little eight-ounce piece of flesh in your mouth is unnecessary. And so we need to slow it considerably. That's what you're going to see in the Bible. In, look at James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. I mean, you know, this is the word of God, but he says, he's especially saying, okay, write this one down. Hey, guys, write this one down. You've got to understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Slow it down. Slow down the process. In James chapter 3, verse 3, it's, it talks about putting a bit in the mouth of horses. The Old Testament talks about bridling our tongues. The old expression is engage brain before operating mouth. Will Rogers, the old elder statesman of our country, cowboy, he said, never miss a good chance to shut up. I saw this acrostic. I thought this was kind of interesting because it does kind of summarize a lot of what the Bible says. It says, think before you speak. And the acrostic for think, T-H-I-N-K, think. Is what I'm about to say true? Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything else, he says, is from the evil one. Is it true? Is it helpful? Ephesians 4 says, let it be for the building up of others when you speak. We'll talk more about that next week. And inspiring also next week. Encouragement. Is it necessary? I am arrogant enough to think that every time I open my mouth, I've got words of wisdom that are absolutely necessary. And my wife says, not so much. There are times when we're saying stuff and, she, and, she, and I get philosophical and she'll joke and she'll go, should I get a pen? Would you like me to write this down? Is it really necessary? This is how Proverbs puts that, by the way. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. And is it kind? Is there, this has to do with your heart. What's the motive of your heart in communicating? 
Is it kind? Is it gentle? Proverbs 15, 1, in a couple places it says in Proverbs that a soft answer turns away wrath. I put, I put that grid against what I say, and I will tell you that if I'm practicing this, and I've been thinking about it this week, I've been catching myself, and I'm not very good at it. I'm guessing that probably half of what I say doesn't need to be said. So we slow it down, and then the Bible has this concept where it says, guard it. Now that's a very potent word, very rich word when it says, guard your tongue. It's not just turn it off. It means set up sentries that will dictate what that tongue does. Psalm 141.3 puts it this way. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Who's he asking to do that? Yahweh, God himself. God, I want you to be the sentry. I'm inviting you into this area of my life. And what that means, that setting up a guard is, this, I know this is true for a lot of us. We, never, we just don't think about this. We, we can come in here and we can sing songs about God and we can say we want to worship Him and we say we want Him in our lives, but we never think about the fact that I, he, I'm inviting Him into the use of this instrument. It means to openly, consciously invite God to scrutinize it, to influence, to have His Lordship over it. See, the alternative to that is what is described in Psalm chapter 12. It says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says this. Here's the alternative. We will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? No one can tell me what to say. No one's going to dictate the terms of what I have to say. I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to say what comes to my mind. Some of us are proud. Some of us wear that like a badge of honor. Remember what we said at the beginning? This is for people who say, you know what? I need somebody else to call the shocks in my life. I need to ask God to be involved in this area of life. I want him to be the Lord. That means I set him up as the guardian. He's the sentry over what I say. I invite him to scrutinize it. Psalm 3, I mean, uh, James 3 again. Look at verse 9. It says, this is what's amazing about our tongue. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. You just did that a little while ago. I hope you were thinking about it. You used your tongue for a very specific purpose. You enhanced your relationship with God, hopefully. By the use of your tongue, you drew close to Him. You said things to Him that from your heart. You invited Him to do things in your life. With our t- the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, We curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the mouth, same mouth, come praise and cursing. You kiss your mother with those lips. That's not in there. But that's the principle. My brothers, this should not be. Guardianing your tongue means you stop, you consciously invite God to be the guardian over it, and then you allow Him, you invite Him to help you foresee what the possible effects of you saying what you're about to say could have and adjust accordingly. That's why that Proverbs 10, 19 passage said the, the one who controls her tongue is wise. Wisdom will, will do this. Here's some, Dan mentioned this earlier. 
So much of our communication this day, these days is through social media. You send tweets, you send posts, you send emails. You communicate that way. Here's a principle that we've said before around here, but we need to hear again. This is what needs to guide. This is what needs to set a guardian about what, what we, how we communicate. Here's the phrase. You are always writing for publication. Everything that you tweet out, no matter how many followers you've got, everything that you casually state, everything you, you are always writing for publication. And when you speak, you are always speaking for broadcast. When you represent someone who is not there with you, none of us think we're gossips, but we do. When you represent someone who is, who is not there with you, the rule of thumb, if the guardian is over my tongue, it's, this is, and I've tried to live this out, to say, I heard somebody else say this, that speak about them so that if the person you're speaking with, on one side of them, the person you're speaking about was standing right next to them here, and Jesus Christ was standing on the other side of them right here, that what you said about that person, both of them would be in agreement with what you said and how you said it. If that can't be true, don't say it. You set a guard over your tongue. Now, we're going to talk more in the next couple of weeks about the amazing positive influence that we can have with each other and for the kingdom of God and in our own souls with this. But let me just say this before we're done this morning. There are a whole lot of us today who have been around a lot of pain and a lot of wounding because of this area of our lives. If, you're, if you have wounded someone, if your tongue has been responsible for causing, inflicting pain, the Bible says some clear things about that. One of the things is it doesn't matter whether you felt justified in it. It doesn't matter if it was true. It doesn't matter if it was unintentional. If you cause destruction with your words, The Bible says that what we do with it is we seek release from the bondage that creates. Here's how how it's said in Proverbs chapter 6. If you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself. There's an imagery here that it binds you. It controls you when that's happened. Since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands, go, humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And here's the amazing thing. The way you free yourself is by using the same instrument that was used for destruction. The same tool gets used for a different purpose. The tongue is part of the remedy. A wise man, this is Proverbs 16, 23 and 24, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Then it goes on to say what we saw earlier. So the pleasant words are a honeycomb that are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. See, the tongue has both, can work both ways. The tongue, Proverbs 15 says, that brings healing is a tree of life. We saw the part about crushing the spirit, but it can also be a tree of life. Next week, we're going to talk about Specific ways that you can, your tongue can be a tree of life. But perhaps you've been the one wounded 
by words. And perhaps even earlier when we were talking about something that has been said and specific phrases, something jumped to the front of your mind. It might be something recent. It might be something a long time ago. But something just lurched forward and you heard the phrase again. You saw it with your mind's eye again. That maybe destruction has happened with your own soul has felt, your spirit has been crushed by what's been said. If that's true, if that's true, please don't hear this as some glib answer. What God invites us to do with that wound is to go to Jesus. The living Son of God. Peter said something about Jesus that we think, oh, that's about the gospel. But it's more than that. Peter asks the disciples, well, do you, people are leaving. He says, do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of life. The phraseology of that means you have words that are drenched in and representative of and that dispense life to people. The only person, the only source in the universe who can bring the kind of healing that a soul needs is Jesus himself, the, the living son of God. Go to Jesus with your wound. Invite him to heal it. Bring it. Allow his words of what he says about you, the future he has for you, the grace he wants to pour on you. Allow it to cascade over that open or deep wound and bring healing to it. It may not happen instantly, but it will happen. It's the power that he has. The psalmist said to God, you're, you're my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble. And look what it says. You'll surround me with songs of deliverance. What is a song? It is, it is words of truth, perhaps set to music, that, that God has a way of surrounding the woundedness. He, he will protect me from trouble. He will bring healing to me from the words that have been used against me. You walked in carrying an amazing gift, amazing tool. I invite you to join me in saying directly to God, I'm inviting you into this area of my life. Would you... Would you be the guardian over my use of my words? Would you bring life from what I have to say? Would you make this area of my life that which represents how you designed me to work? Next time we'll talk a little bit specifics about how you can do that right where you sit, right with the people in your world. Pray with me. Your word says that God is in heaven and we're on earth, so let our words be few. We don't really have a lot to say. We can't tell you how you should do your business. We can't, um, we really have no cause to complain. You are a good God. You're a redeeming God. And I know I I stand first in line among a group of people who really want to know what it looks like to live at least a little bit of our lives reflecting the way you intended me, the way you intended us to live.
Some of us, God needs some deep, deep surgery done on our capacity to speak. Some of us need to be healed from something that's been said. I pray you'd pour your grace right now. Some of us need to be the instrument of your healing by going, owning up to the pain we've caused, seeking to be freed from the effects. And then, God, we, we want to be people who, when we speak, the instrument, it, it accomplishes what you made it for. Make this a week where that we take a step toward that. And help us to do it because we know your son. We love him. We follow him. And we want you involved in this part of our lives. We pray because of him and in his name. Amen.